Thank you. Well, we're going to think about the relevance of those passages to our lives. Let's pray that God would help us to do that. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you would uh, teach us or remind us of things which we really need to know at the start of this year, which will impact our lives uh, for, the, for the, your glory, for our good and for the good of others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Happy New Year, everyone. It's 2021. I wonder how you saw the new year in or whether you did see the new year in. You see, we were going to go to a party, but sort of, we sort of got sort of called off because of COVID reasons, so we spent the night at home. We watched a video, read books, someone did a jigsaw. Then at 11.45, we went downstairs and put on the television, got the end of a concert at the Opera House Forecourts, a game which had no one at it for COVID reasons. And then as we got close to midnight, there was the countdown, you know, 10, 9, 8, 7, etc., all the way down. Suddenly, bing! It was the new year. The fireworks went off. It was 2021. We often look forward to big events or what we perceive to be big events in the future, whether it's the 1st of January or whether it's Christmas Day or whatever it is. One of my favourite uh, Australian movies is a movie called The Dish. Some of you may have seen it. It looks at the Apollo 11 mission to the moon, but seen through the perspective of a New South Wales country town, specifically the town of Parks. And the reason Parks has featured us because it's home to a great radio telescope of international standards which was pretty key uh, in communications with the Apollo 11 spacecraft on its way to and from the moon. And as you watch the movie you get a sense of the incredible expectation surrounding that particular mission. Uh, both as people looked forward uh, to the, the takeoff, there was the countdown to the takeoff, people waited with bated breath, 10, 9, 8 and off it went. And then the spacecraft is in the air, but then the next thing people are waiting for is landing on the moon, and then everyone is counting down to the famous moonwalk, which eventually took place. A big countdown. And a countdown that many people can relate to uh, is perhaps the countdown to their wedding day. Uh, you know, one week to go, five days to go, four, three, two, one, etc. I certainly count down to the days to my wedding with enthusiasm. Uh, I hope you did the same. I mean, who doesn't like looking forward to something good in the future? And it's all the better when we can look forward to that good thing in the future with others who are also looking forward to that good thing in the future. Now, today's topic highlights how we, as Christians, if we are Christians, as the church, are looking forward with each other to something great in the future. We look forward to the time when we as believers will be fully united with Christ, with each other, forever in the place which we were designed ultimately to spend eternity in. Now when I was at university I, I learned about the idea of self-actualisation. I think it was in a psychology subject, it probably had to do with Maslow's hierarchy of needs, of which the highest need we have is the self-actualisation need. And self-actualisation basically means to have our highest needs met, to have our deepest desires and potentialities fulfilled. Well, being united with Christ in association with other believers will be that ultimate self-actualising experience. It's what we were truly created for. Now we're continuing today in our summer series entitled The Church is Like... Dot, dot, dot. 
And this morning we're considering how the church is like a bride. And we look forward to our wedding day, so to speak, as I said, when we will be jointly united with Christ. If you picked up an outline on the way in or on the screen behind me, you can see that we're going to look at this in three parts. Firstly, God's people as a bride. Secondly, the wedding day will come. And thirdly, be part of it. Now, well, I should add that while there are some incredible truths to grasp hold of as we look at this topic, some of us may struggle a little bit with the metaphor used. You see, I love the idea of marriage, but I really can't say I relate to the idea of being a bride. I can relate to the idea of being a groom, but not so much a bride. Now, I mentioned a few years back in church that I, I found this sort of analogy, something rather which I couldn't entirely relate to, and one other gentleman sidled up to me after the service and said, well, Steve, I must say I've always had a bit of trouble with it myself. Uh, so a few of you might sort of think, well, you know, I can't really get into this being a bride thing, particularly if I'm a bloke. Uh, well, next week you're going to learn that the, sh the church is like a flock. And so next week you'll be sort of thinking that you're like sheep. Also something which you may not ne necessarily relate to. But I guess the thing to do with biblical metaphors, like, you know, being a bride or being sheep, is to figure out what the metaphor is really trying to relate to us and not to get too caught up in the metaphor if we find it a little unusual. And the thing which the metaphor is going to highlight to us this morning is that we, the church, Christians, are looking forward together to something big, positive and totally self-actualising. That's what the bride looking forward to the wedding day analogy is reminding us of. That's the key thing to remember. So, let's work with the metaphor and first think about God's people as a bride. Now, the idea of God's people as a bride is found in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. So, presumably, God thinks it's a pretty good metaphor, which makes some important points. Let's start with the Old. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 5, uh, has God saying to his people, for your maker, that's referring to God himself, for your maker is your husband. There we have it, husband and wife. Later in Isaiah chapter 62 verse 5 we learn that as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so your God rejoices over you. We have here the idea that God rejoices, is excited by, is thrilled with his people. Isn't that nice? Ezekiel 16, God compares his people to a wife and says in verse 8, I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you. So this is a relationship of covenantal commitment. Then in Hosea chapter 2 verse 9, God says to his people, I will betroth you to me forever, which suggests that this covenant committed relationship is eternal. So in the Old Testament, we have a number of things highlighted, including that it's relationship of love, it's one of covenant commitment and it will go on forever. Some key things from the Old Testament. Well, the idea is then picked up again in the New Testament and specifically applied to the relationship between God's people and Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And this relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, with his bride, the church, is one which he is self-sacrificially committed to. So right at the start of John, in chapter 3, verse 29, John the Baptist is speaking and he refers to God's people and Jesus and says, the bride, God's people, belongs to the bridegroom, in that particular context, to Jesus. 
2 Corinthians 11 verse 2, Paul says to the Corinthian Christians, I promised you to one husband, to Christ. There it is. Bride, Christ. And in Ephesians chapter 5, we see that Jesus' love for his bride, the church, is costly and self-sacrificial. It says, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, which is, of course, a reference to the cross. And then there are various uh, references to the church as a bride in Revelation, uh, two of which, which were read, and we'll come back to those shortly. But I guess one of the things which this highlights is the relationship between God and his people is one of extreme love and commitment. Extreme love and commitment. And that is, in fact, something which we all want. Now, I've been watching a TV series called The Crown. I imagine a number of you have watched it as well. I'm up to series four. The Crown, if you don't know it, follows the, the doings of the English royal or the British royal family from the 1950s onwards. It's a combination of fact and fiction. Lots of factual events are, are, are presented and I guess they have to fill in the conversations and the motivations with their fictional, fictional representations or imaginings as to what would have taken place. But on the episode I last watched, uh, Charles and Diana have recently been married. It's 1983 and they're on the Australian tour, uh, which some of you would remember, the 1983 tour. And at this point, according to the Crown TV series, and possibly it was accurate as well, uh, Charles's and Diana's relationship is, is fairly rocky. But there's a scene which takes place in the Australian outback where they have this really quite moving conversation with each other, where they both, I guess, have this reality check where they express to each other how much they would appreciate it if they had the support and appreciation of the other. And they resolve to sort of, I guess, make a go of it. And it's really quite a moving scene, but it just does highlight that that's what everyone wants. They want that love, they want that respect, they want that appreciation of a significant other. Uh, last year I was in a particular family context in which uh, the mother in that family context said something positive to her teenage daughter. Her teenage son, who was there, uh, said, what about me? And you can see that he craved the attention, appreciation, love of his mother as well. And then there's that classic scenario we so often hear about how many men spend their lives trying to get love, appreciation and respect of their fathers, even if their fathers are perhaps long dead. You see, we all desire and crave love, commitment and appreciation from significant others. Now, we may or may not get that in life, hopefully we will, but if we're a Christian, if we've asked Jesus to forgive us and we're seeking to follow him, we actually have that extreme love, that appreciation, that commitment from God. Whatever anyone else thinks, we have that from God uh, that is a great comfort to know and that's one of the things which this metaphor highlights for us. Well then we get to Revelation chapter 19, the first of our readings and we see that point two, the wedding day will come. The day will come when we are ultimately together as Christians united with Christ, self-actualised so to speak. Now uh, as anyone who gets married will know, or anyone who organises a marriage or a wedding will know, before the wedding there are the preparations. So before I got married, my wife and I did a course called Prepare, which was this sort of relational sort of course. There was the wedding to organise, the honeymoon to organise, the new house to organise, moving into the new house to organise, etc, etc. So too, before the wedding between Christ and the bride, 
there are preparations. Some of the key final preparations of which are set out in the first verses of Revelation 19. And I have to say, they're pretty impressive preparations and probably not the sorts of preparations that we will ever be involved with. But first, a quick diversion. Do you know how many times the word hallelujah features in the New Testament of the Bible? Four. Only four, apparently, in the New Testament. And they are all in Revelation 19, verses 1 to 6. That's interesting, isn't it? Hallelujah, of course, means praise God, as was, I think, well highlighted for us in the reading we just had a few moments ago. So God is praised with hallelujahs in the final steps leading up to the wedding between God, between Christ and his people. Let me remind you of the first few verses. After this, I heard what sounded like the roar of a great multitude in heaven shouting, Hallelujah! Salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For true and just are his judgments. He has condemned the great prostitute who corrupted the earth by her adulteries. He has avenged on her the blood of his servants. And again they shouted, Hallelujah! The smoke of her goes up forever and ever. You see, God is being praised here for that final act of judgment where Babylon, the great prostitute, which is symbolic in Revelation. Remember, Revelation is a symbolic book. It's symbolic, I guess, of I guess the world in rebellion against God, the anti-God forces uh, in this world. Initially, people would have thought of the Roman Empire in the first century, but there have been empires and worldviews and systems ever since then, right down to today. Uh, who, I guess, oppose God and are revolt against God. If we think, what does a world in revolt against God look like? We might think of, you know, Soviet Russia or communist China. But I think we could easily think of many aspects of the Western world uh, as well. Uh, in the earlier service at 8 o'clock, there are, there are a lot of fans of the Sex Pistols in the congregation. No, there weren't. Um, but I still use this analogy. Uh, but the manager of the, the Sex Pistols, that punk band from England from the 1970s, was a guy called Malcolm McLaren. And he was once quoted as saying as, as follows. He said, I want to live in a city where I can eat out as much as I want, where I can drink, have sex and look at fine paintings as much as I want. That's the sort of city I want to live in. Now, good on him, uh, but that seems like a fairly, I uh, guess, standard, godless, hedonist lifestyle set of desires. Now, he lived in London at the time and I pretty much think he could have got with enough money any of those as much as he wanted. And if we had enough money, he could get any of those as much as he wanted in Sydney or Auckland or any other city we could care to name in the Western world. So I guess even in our own city, we could... Thank you. 
Wonderful. So, Terry Pratchett, English writer. My wife's a great fan of Terry Pratchett. Uh, he was famous for his writings, his offbeat Discworld books. Some of you may have read them. Now, he unfortunately died back in 2015, uh, but he knew he was dying, and he said that once he died, he wanted any of his unfinished works to be comprehensively destroyed. He didn't want his unfinished works being published. And so he said that he wanted his unfinished works not just destroyed, he wanted them run over with a steamroller. That's what Terry Pratchett was like. So I can tell you that they got the hard disk with his unfinished works on it, and at the Great Dorset Steam Fair in 2017, they comprehensively crushed and ran over the hard drive or whatever it was with his unfinished works on it. Totally destroyed. So even more so, uh, anything which could wreck or ruin our relationship with God for eternity, you know, temptations to greed, temptations to materialism, self-obsession, addiction, immorality, will all be gone more comprehensively than even a steamroller could manage. Pre-marriage preparation. Then the great day arrives, we read in verses 6 and 7, when what we truly long for will take place. Let me read. Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah! For our Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. The image is huge. The preparations are complete. Uh, the celebrations are about to now start on a massive scale. The day has arrived. Something I think of when I think of celebrations on a massive scale is the end of World War II. Uh, you've probably seen images uh, that when World War II finished, people were dancing in the streets of Sydney and Melbourne and Brisbane and London and New York and everywhere. The world seemed to be in celebration. Uh, that is a pretty massive celebration, but of course this celebration will be even more massive uh, because it will be celebrating a more final and a more comprehensive victory because, let's face it, there have been wars since World War II, haven't there? Uh, this will be a more comprehensive victory. It will involve not just the people who were alive at one particular time, but people from all ages and all nations. And the celebrations will not just include humans, it seems they'll include heavenly beings as well, angels and such forth. I wonder whether you can think of a time in your life when the big day has finally come, when you never thought it would happen, but it did. Now, my wedding day was certainly like that because I got married at 39 years of age, which is probably older, I suspect, than most people here who got married for the first time. And then I found myself one sunny July afternoon in 2005 standing down the front of the church. Uh, Shireen was walking down the aisle and I thought, my goodness, I'm here. It's, it's arrived. But all sorts of other big days arrive as well. Uh, another day I often think of, not as significant, but still significant, was I grew up never expecting to go overseas. But then at the age of 20, uh, on one April evening, I found myself sitting in a plane about to take off for London. I could not believe that the big day had arrived. Well, when there's the final victory of God over evil, finally worked out, when Christ returns, we're together with other believers, together the big day will arrive when we'll be ultimately united together with Christ for eternity. And the time will be when we can say, my goodness, we are here, it is actually happening. Great, you might think. The big day will come, outside hindrances will be done away with, but what about me? Might I myself 
wreck things. You see, in any relationship, people tend to bring their own baggage into it. People bring their baggage into relationships. It might be you know, their own weaknesses or scars in their life from past bad experiences. I remember an old friend of mine I went through school with uh, who, whose parents divorced when we were in high school or just afterwards. She admitted to me after she'd been married herself for a few years that in the back of her mind there was a voice which said, you know, all, all relationships fail in the end. That was her, that was there in her head. I guess that was some of the baggage she brought in, the expectation that this wasn't really going to last. When it, now, it actually has lasted. They're still married, which I'm really pleased about. Uh, but, you know, that's, we all bring baggage into relationships. Could we bring baggage into that eternal relationship which wrecks eternity? The answer is no, because we'll be prepared. Verse 7. The wedding of the Lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of God's holy people. Did you notice that the fine linen is given to the bride, which I understand to mean that we will be made righteous on that occasion. Uh, we won't have that baggage with us anymore. All the outside hindrances will have gone and all the internal baggage hindrances will have gone as well when that final relationship takes place. Now at this point, if you have a slightly suspicious bent, and I think perhaps all of us should have a reasonably suspicious bent, um, you sort of might think, well, this seems all a bit too good to be true, doesn't it? Well, God presumably thinks that we might be tempted to think that as well. And so he helpfully gives us verse 9, which reads as follows. Then the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who were invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words of God. So God, just in case we were tempted to sort of think, really? Reassures us, these are the true words of God. It's fair income, it's guaranteed, it's, it's going to happen. Now, what a great thing to be part of. And Revelation, uh, amongst other parts of the Bible, urges everyone to be part of this final celebration. And in the final chapter of the Bible, in Revelation 22, which is our second reading this morning, did you notice that others are urged to come in and be part of this as well? Verse 17 of chapter 22. The Spirit, that's God's Spirit, and the Bride, that's God's people, the Spirit and the Bride say, come. Well, who do you think they're talking to at this point? People who aren't the Spirit or God and the Bride, presumably everyone else. The Spirit and the Bride say, come. And let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. And let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. You see, God and his people are saying, come, you know, come on. They're inviting others to be part of this. It's a call, it's an evangelistic call. And it's a call for us to make evangelistic calls right here at the end of Revelation. Uh, this is good news. And if it is good news, we clearly want others to be involved. And so it's good to remind ourselves that the good news is in fact good news. Now you've heard that numerous times and you've probably heard the fact that the good news is good news emphasised a number of times in your life. But can I just remind you again, it actually is good news. I've just started to read a book by a lady called Rebecca Manley Pippet, 
It's her latest book on evangelism. Now, many years ago, she wrote a really famous book on evangelism called Out of the Salt Shaker. came out in, I think, 1979, one of the best books on evangelism ever written. She had a book published last year, 40 years later, called Stay Salt. You know, you're out of the salt shaker, stay salty, is the idea. And one of her big things is she's big on being able to speak about our faith, but she's also big on living out our faith, and she's big on doing all of this in the context of genuine relationships. So I think she has a really good, balanced approach to this. And in the first paragraph of her introduction, in case we're tempted to forget it, she said the message of the gospel is quite simply the best news ever, which it is. <laughs> now, actually, in her introduction, she also goes on to make some other points which I thought were quite interesting, and I'll just share them with you briefly. You know, it's clear that there's a little bit of increased opposition to the Christian faith in Western culture these days. But according to this lady, and she really does have experience and credentials to back up whatever she says, she says that she reckons that the world, whereas it might oppose the gospel on one level, is actually very fertile or ready for the gospel at another level. She says, secularism does not have the power to erase our human longings for meaning and worth. That people are perhaps even recognising that they're looking for something or other which they can't quite put their finger on but they haven't got it. And she says that's very great today and she's done work in Europe as well as other more <laughs> Christian places uh, and uh, that's, that was that her observations. So I guess in this world, this is the world in which we want to say to others, come. Let me conclude. Uh, I sometimes find myself in the position of preparing couples for marriage. At the moment there's a couple from Night Church who I'm helping getting ready for marriage and one of the things that I and I'm sure many others uh, say to prospective married couples is remember the wedding day is important but it's just the beginning of something which is far more important which is your marriage. And I think it's good to remind ourselves too that as the bride of Christ we look forward to that great day but that is only the beginning because then we have eternity in that relationship with each other together in the place which we were created to live in. So we remind ourselves uh, as we think about the church as bride we remind ourselves of that extreme love and commitment, the communal nature of it, with God, that when we are finally united, that really is only the beginning of what follows. Let me pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we do thank you here at the start of a new year for this, reminded, this reminder of what awaits us as believers, uh, not because of our worth, but because of your grace. We thank you that we can all communally as believers look forward to being united with you and your son forever in the place where we were created to live. Thank you that we all have something so good to look forward to together. And we pray this in Jesus' name.